Hello and welcome to the Westfield Matildas podcast, the show where we take you behind the members of the team voted Australia's most beloved. On this week's episode, we have Matilda's cap number 188. She's represented Australia 48 times, scoring seven goals, and since debuting for the Matildas in 2013, has represented them at the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup, the 2018 AFC Women's Asian Cup, and the 2016 Rio Olympics. And that is Chloe Legazzo. Welcome to the show, Chloe. Thanks so much, Anne. Chloe, the question I'm asking everyone first up is, where are you right now? I am in Bristol, England currently. And how did you get there? I left the W League actually mid-season and came over here to finish the end of the English season. Yeah, currently still going. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be good, hopefully, once everything settles down with... Um, everything that's happening in the world and we can continue the last two months of the season. Like most of the leagues around the world, the FAWSL has gone on hiatus as we go through this crisis that is the coronavirus. Um, what have you been doing in that time frame while the league has been on hold? Yeah, it's actually been really tough being over here and, and not really having uh, all the resources that we would have if I was at home. The clubs have gone practically into shutdown and and, uh, my teammates that I've been living with have gone home. So we don't go back into training until the 3rd of April. So still a couple more weeks away. And we just have at-home running um, programs, individual running programs and gym programs all done uh, within our home and just at a random park. So uh, equipment is scarce at the moment. And yeah, I mean... I was lucky enough to have my girlfriend come over literally a week after finding out I wasn't going to go home. And she literally saved me because I am in a foreign country by myself um, and was really by myself uh, for a week. And that was kind of horrible. Most people think that footballers are quite isolated in a way because football takes so much of your life And it often means that you kind of, not purposefully, but you do end up distancing yourself from your family and your friendship groups that you kind of grew up with because it takes you around the world. What's been so different about this isolation? Yeah, I mean, touching on what you just said is I definitely agree with all of the stuff you just said and we'll probably get into that into depth later on. This isolation is a bit different, you know, and especially because I'm a little bit more mature now and I feel like I'm here for a purpose and I have a job to do. And now that the job isn't here to be done and the likelihood of the tournament still going or the league still going is is up in the air, it's hard to be alone by myself over here and have motivation to train um, when there might not be anything here. And I don't see my teammates like I do. We go from an environment where all of us players uh, train every single day with a lot of people and we interact with a lot of people and then go into a situation where we have to be isolated and can't see anyone and can't train like we normally do, can't work out at a gym. It's really all an unfamiliar territory to us or to me especially. You say you're a bit older and, uh, and a bit more mature about it. How have you been able to 
I guess, cope in relation to the mental aspects of it, being able to motivate yourself still to do your programs, to do the running program, to do the gym. Um, and in particular, just to be able to keep your routine as much as you kind of can. I think it's more just to be about being accountable. And I think now I'm a little bit older, I feel as if I look at what I'm doing as playing soccer as my sole job, which it is now. It's my job and I take it very seriously. And it's not just what we do on the field that helps us on the field. It's everything that we do that's outside of the field. Our job is not like everyone else's where we go to work nine to five. Um, I would say that our job is 24 seven every single day, whatever we do hinders what we actually bring to the field. And I think that was the biggest mindset change for me. And my team here in Bristol, we hold each other accountable. So uh, every single session that we do, we send it into a player platform um, so that we can hold each other accountable and, and pick out if one person's not being good enough, we can say, hey, um, our season might be continued. You need to pick up your training and make sure that you're fit for when you come back in. Alice, how did your move to Bristol come about? Yeah, I don't really know. To be honest, my managers <laughs> kind of just approached me with uh, an opportunity to kind of be a little bit better in the lead up to the Olympics. And obviously leaving Sydney FC was really, really hard for me. But my views and opinions on it were to try and be the best that I could be and play as much as I possibly could in the lead up to the Olympics. And for me, the W League season ended so for me, it was almost a no-brainer to, to move and, and play in England and um, play against different oppositions and a different league where I don't really know and I'm unfamiliar. And I feel like when I'm put in an unfamiliar position, I kind of thrive and I like to prove a point. And yeah, I think being uncomfortable was what I needed, a little bit of change. And there was also the uncomfortable or unfamiliar position of being in sort of a promotion and relegation fight as well. So how is that mentality different knowing that you're not just playing to have a position in the league, you're actually playing to stay in that tier of football? Yeah, I think I, I chose to come to Bristol to do one sole job. Um, obviously, Tanya's the coach and she's Australian, so it was a little bit easier for me to also come over to a, a style of play or or a personality that I can be comfortable with. But coming over and having one sole job to help a team not get relegated was a driving force for me to want to come more and, and have a really big impact on a team. Um, and I think that was what was going to give me confidence to go into the Olympics as well. So there was a lot of thought that went behind where I went and who I went for and when I went. We've seen a lot of Australians move across to the European leagues. And did you guys kind of talk about it or it just sort of happened that you all moved around the same time? I think Ante has instilled in us that we to take our game to the next level. And for us to do that is to be able to play as much as we possibly can at the highest level for a long period of time, as well as looking after our bodies and as well as giving us the time that we need to recover as well, like many of us. And myself, we go from season to season, jumping from the NWSL back to the W League. And we never really have an opportunity or a chance to have a break. And people don't see that, but it causes a lot of injuries and it shortens our career in the long run because our bodies just from such a young age are in this high stress 
competitive environment for such a long time and you can only take so much before you end up breaking down and for me on so many occasions this happened to me so my move to Europe was just solely so I could have one team and play for my national team and have the break that I need to be able to get my body to where it needs to be so I can perform the best that I can perform. You talk about the stress that it puts on the body. I don't think people understand just how much athletes put in behind the scenes. Well, I mean, I think they do understand conceptually, but actually how much work goes in and how much force and how much load it puts on the body. Can you sort of explain to me in a typical week or day, how much are you actually putting in in terms of physical exertion? Yeah, I'll give you a rundown on on what we do here for Bristol. We would head into training at, say, 9.30, get ready to go onto the pitch and train for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Uh, once we're finished there, we'll go have lunch together as a team, um, relax for about two hours, eat an hour and a half, two hours, and then head to the gym and train. And then by the time we're finished, we'll, we'll head in at 9.30 and we'll leave at 4 o'clock, 3.34. So it's almost a typical day as if you're going to go to work. But for us, it's just load. So any demand on that and then backing up on doing that, we do three gym sessions a week on top of all our field sessions. And I would say for people, it's not just, if I say to you, come have a day in the life of Chloe Legazzo and you come and do one training session, you might think, oh my God, that's so hard. But it's not just a single day that makes it so hard. It's the backing up of we might play three weeks of a month um, in our season. And then for that two week period for the national team, we also go away away and we play even harder games than we do when we play in our league. So um, normally when we go for international breaks, our girls at home that don't play for the national team have some time off or they just go to training. So for us, it's like the load's hard and then the load's even harder. And then we come back and it's just, yeah, we really have to utilize our time off and off of our feet as much as possible. What does that do to your body? How, how are you on an everyday level with your body? Yeah, I mean, you get used to it. It's fine. You know, I enjoy feeling sore after a good session. It's just you have good weeks and you have bad weeks where you feel like you can conquer the world after you've done a really hard week and you feel on top of the world when you get to game day. And then next week's you might not. You might have a low loading week and then get to game day and still feel a little bit sluggish. It's about finding balance and I feel like that's where a good S&C coach comes into play and, and we have a really good medical staff with the national team and I have a good medical staff here with Bristol. But it's mostly about finding the good balance between individual players and what you know your limits are and not pushing past them, I guess. You mentioned with the lockdown, you've kind of been isolated, but we'll talk about that in just one moment. How have you been able to stay in contact with the family, particularly when you probably don't know when you're going to be able to get out of the country again? How have you been able to stay in contact with your mum, dad and twin brother, Fince? I, at the start, felt really detached from them because I didn't tell them what was going on. And I had possibly the opportunity of going home like Hayley. And I got really excited about that and was found out that I wasn't going home. So I think I just like let them do their thing in Australia and and not really telling them anything. But for them, it's just all's going well. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't don't think they realise that I might not be coming home for a very long time. But I guess that's a part of my job anyway. I feel like I'm never home long enough anyway. I'm only ever home for a couple of months of the year. So it's not anything any different. 
You mentioned that girlfriend has come across. How much does that help you in terms of your mental state in getting through this period? Honestly, I was by myself because my housemates left because they're English. I was by myself for six days, literally six days, and it felt like an eternity. And being inside by myself in a place where I didn't know, and I was lucky I had a car, like didn't know anyone, was by myself, everything's closed. It was really, really tough. So for her to come over and really help me be able to just interact with someone and pass the time. She's been here for four days and it's gone so quickly already. And just having a training partner and someone to also motivate me and push me has been really, really incredible. And she didn't have to come. So it's amazing for her to drop everything in America and also put herself at risk because her borders are also closed. So we are literally stuck here for uh, (laughs) who knows how long. So yeah, I'm very lucky to have someone that wants to do that. And how are you guys then preparing for keeping yourself occupied now for the next little while? Well, my housemates are pretty handy. So uh, they have a lot of tools. So we're building stuff and working out. And our backyard patio, wouldn't really call it a backyard, it's (laughs) pavement. So we just went out and bought some artificial grass and two chairs and a fire pit and we need to go out and buy some weights because we're going to start making like a little workout area out the back because it's actually starting to get pretty sunny here in England and hot, which is bizarre. But yeah, I don't know. We've got card games. Uh, I like cooking, so that takes up a bit of time. Hopefully we'll find something on Netflix. I don't know. There's lots of things. (laughs) There's lots of ways of doing this. And you've just dobbed yourself into a Cooking with Chloe show on the Matildas channel. Thanks for that. I would absolutely love that. I'm not going to lie. I really enjoy cooking. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about this pod after this pod about how we can get involved <laughs> on that. Um, 100%. <laughs> Chloe, in relation to everything that's happened, it's been so quick. I was talking to Haley the other day and saying, not that long ago, Australia had just qualified for the Olympics And now the Olympics have been postponed to 2021. In your mind, how have you coped with how fast everything's happened? Honestly, I was Lisa's roommate for three years and she would always tell me, Chloe, you need to really, really enjoy these times because when you blink your eye, you're going to turn around and it's going to be five years later and you're going to think, where has time gone? I was thought, that's something old wisdom people say you know like (laughs) you're just gonna turn around enjoy your time I was like whatever Lisa okay but actually like now that I think about it it's been four years since the Olympics and it has gone so quickly that I haven't even realized I look back now and I'm thinking oh my god I don't know how I even feel about the Olympics being postponed it doesn't really feel real right now about everything that's going on you know I'm not not really watching the news or keeping up with any of it really because I just I don't really want to. I think it's sad. And I think, but yeah, I think it gives us enough time maybe to make sure that we're at 100% when we go in there. So that's my view on thinking about it. You talk about the fact that you kind of don't want to even think about what's going on at the moment because it is, it is unprecedented. We've never been through this as a global community. It brings it even more to home when you realise that this is something that could go on for a little bit longer. How do you feel about that possibility of, of this going on for a little bit longer? And I think this time, honestly, is just hopefully like a big wake-up call to everyone around the world and how we are and what we're doing. And I 
for all of us to really internalize and think about what we're doing and how we're meant to be better. Being almost locked in a room makes you think a lot. So for me, this time is really about being the best that you can be and working on things that you never really had time to work on. So for me, I just feel like it's another opportunity. In this time frame, you said you're trying to figure out who you are and almost who you represent. Who is Chloe Legazzo, the person? Me? I think that I am a hardworking, fun-loving person that just has too much energy to really be doing one thing at a time. This is probably the longest time I've ever had a football, really, and probably will be because no one really knows how long this is going to last. Let's talk about Chloe, the footballer. What is your earliest football memory? Um, earliest, like in general? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I used to play soccer with my brother um, down the road uh, from our house. My dad was the coach and my mum was the manager. And just literally walking to go to training every single night or playing games on the weekend but the oval had three fields and had a canteen at the top and I just remember like kicking the ball in between both of the walls while um, my sister also played and we were waiting for our games and my dad was coaching and you know we we're always really into football our whole entire family so it was a lot of fun growing up. What did football mean to you at that time? It was was it just this game or did you always knew you wanted more with it? For me it was it was more than just a game I I an Italian and a lot of my family members are really diehard football fans and for me growing up I always had football surrounding me and it wasn't just cheering on the Australian team it was mostly the Italian team and I have a fond memory of watching the 2006 World Cup men's final with literally half of the Italian heritage (laughs) in my living room and just so many people and loving and loud family members and Italy winning and just the atmosphere of that was just incredible. So for me, it's always been more than just football. It's been for love and for family. And It's funny you remember 2006 as sort of a big memory around the World Cup. And I remember I fell in sort of love with football in 1998 and that World Cup and, you know, waking up really early in the morning and the voice of Les Murray, the voice of Martin Tyler, they, they became a really key part of sort of my childhood memories and watching France win that World Cup. Is that 2006 one of those those sort of key childhood memories that when you think back to, it's almost like where you sort of started to fall really in love with the game? Yeah, of course. I just, I had never seen passion on that level from my family members and to bring people together on a kind of level that was more than just family. Like I had people in the room that weren't family but felt like family and I just thought I loved the passion of the game And it's definitely where I started to fall in love with it because being, I think, 12 years old or whatever back then, 11 years old, I didn't understand that playing with a bunch of kids just down the road. For me, it was just a lot of fun. But to watch grown men cheering and crying and laughing and um, watching their idols, yeah, it was really incredible. And it was definitely a moment where I thought to myself, I really wanted to do something like that, but not really knowing that there was a Women's World Cup at the same time. So... How much did you know about women's football when you were growing up? Honestly, nothing. I didn't know anything until I hit year seven um, where I was actually in a private school where my brother and my sister went as well. And I played soccer with a couple of other girls and they were going to a sports high school. 
um, in Seven Hills where Alan Stadwick was the coach. And um, I was like, okay, I really want to trial for this. I, I really want to take soccer more serious and, and I want to go here instead of being at the school I was already at. And I actually got accepted into that school and my mum hid the acceptance letter for three months because um, <laughs> she didn't want me to leave. But yeah, so that's how I kind of found out a little bit more because I went to a sports high school where Stad was the coach and obviously he was the coach of N-Swiss and there was some amazing people that I went to high school with that um, I still play with right now. So it's incredible. Tell us about those high school days and who you were growing up with and how much did you set down the foundations of the player that you'd become in that time period? I was this eager... 12 year old that came into a high school of really established athletes already and I was lucky enough to be able to go to school with people like Tegan Allen and uh, Kaya Simon for a little bit and Renee Rolleston and Danielle Brogan and I mean there's probably so many more that I'm just forgetting about but um, at that time in in my life when I was in year seven and year eight I was surrounded by people that were already playing in the national team and I was just literally in awe of them in awe of the fact that they played for Sydney FC that I didn't even know existed and they had this life that I didn't know existed. So I honestly was just loving life being at that school and, and finding out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And um, if I didn't go there, I wouldn't be who I am or, or be in the position that I am. Definitely, 100%. It sounds like going to Hills Sports High School was like taking the red pill where you suddenly found out about this whole new world that you could be a part of. How much did finding out about that world start to shape what your new dreams would be? Going there was, was definitely the best decision for me for my career. And at the time of me going there, it was just an opportunity to get better. And I never knew that it would lead me to where I am today. Definitely had hopes, but wasn't really sure if I was capable of doing it. and. Yeah, I think it was the best decision that I made and also taught me a lot about myself and growing up and going to the school that was way out of my area and with a bunch of different people was was quite interesting. We had a chat when, not long after you made your debut in 2013, about your career progression and how, yes, you were surrounded by all these players who were playing in the W League and they were playing sort of young Matildas and junior Matildas and internationals already representing Australia. But it took a little while for you to get there. You were a bit smaller than everybody else. And in Australian football, we sometimes overlook that in terms of a player. How was that period when you saw your friends, you know, going away to national team camps and you weren't still getting those opportunities? It was really tough for me, I think, growing up before I even went and changed high schools and kind of did all that stuff. I was always overshadowed for my size. And, and although I had a massive heart and I tried as hard as I could, I, I was always falling short. And growing up and not going through the New South Wales system and never being picked for a state team back in those days and probably still now, it's really hard to try and get your foot in the door when you're a little bit older. So for me, it was kind of really tough. I, I kind of always got told that I wasn't good enough and that I wouldn't make it. And for me... I was lucky that I was surrounded by people that believed in me so much and that I believed in myself so much that I just kept going because it's hard for girls now to want to see a brighter light. And especially for us back in the day where there wasn't really a career for football, um, a lot of girls dropped out 
in my position and stopped playing and just started focusing on school and wanting to study more and get a real job and stuff like that. So for me, I was lucky. I just kept having this desire to want to play for the national team. And who were the people who surrounded you that that gave you that confidence, that believed in you and, and what you were trying to do, even when, as you said, there was no identifiable, identifiable full-time path for this? I think it was definitely my family, my mom and my dad that, you know, were there for me, driving me to every single session when I couldn't drive myself and, and waking up at six o'clock in the morning to take me to end Swiss training and to make sure that I was eating the right things and I was prioritising the right things and people underestimate how much a good inner circle can do for your career and for me at that time it was my family members and it was definitely just looking back in the mirror and wanting to be better and do better and I think this all led to what is coming next in my period of life so moving on from when I actually made it um, in the lead up there was all this anticipation and and desire to prove people wrong and that was that's what got me to be in the national team and then I think when I was in the national team at a young age it kind of all fell away. Before you even got to the national team it was W League. What do you remember of your W League debut? I remember that my shirt was three sizes too big. I think <laughs> the only size yeah I think the only size they had left was a large and I was tiny so I remember being in an oversized shirt, oversized shorts and like my little twig legs hanging out and I debuted in Newcastle against Newcastle. Lisa was playing on the other team and I had Heather Gary up on the field, which she's really scary, but love her, but she was really scary at the time as 16 year old. Uh, Stad was like, all right, Chloe, you going on? And I was like, okay. Uh, he's like, you're going on left wing. I like, all right. So I, I got subbed on for Walshy and ran onto the field and I get onto the left side and the and the ball comes to the left side of the field and Heather stands next to me. She goes, Oi, what are you doing on the left side? Go to the other side. <laughs> okay. So I, I run to the other side of the field. The ball comes to the right-hand side of the field. Heather runs. She's like, Oi, what are you doing on this side of the field? Get to the other side of the field. I was like, okay. So I spent the whole entire time running from side to side uh, on my debut. And that's what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> because Heather was telling you where to go. Yes, ma'am. And I did exactly what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, a lot of footballers still do exactly what Heather says. <laughs> <laughs> Making, being able to make that debut on sort of the national stage, did that change your goals or did that make your goals much more, I guess, realistic in your mind? They made them a lot more re realistic. I signed my first WE contract as an injury player replacement. So I came in like middle of the season and for me it was a massive shock because obviously I was just training with the girls as a train on and I was I was quite young so I wasn't really expecting it so it definitely made me want to train even harder to next year get a contract so I reevaluated my goals and which I think is very important uh, setting goals and reevaluating them as soon as you achieve them or, or feel like they're getting too easy is very important. The next year was kind of when I rem remembered seeing you clearly. You spoke about the fact that you were an injury replacement in that 2011-2012 season. But when I saw you through the camera for the first time was that 2012-13 season. And it was a season where Sydney had come off 
losing some veteran players and it was quite a young squad that year. How much did that actually help to have so many young players around you as well? Yeah, it was really nice. I I grew up with a lot of the girls that were in the team and um, I think we had this kind of like underdog environment going on where we really wanted to prove a point and everyone was on the same page and we just wanted to go out and we had such high energy every single game that we played we brought that to the table and I think that showed in our in our season. Your first real full professional season in 2012-13 with Sydney FC you played 12 games that year and Sydney won the championship you know what was that like to win your Win the, win the championship in your first full professional season and to do it, like I said, with such a, a young group with, with Sam and Kaya and uh, Tegan yeah. and, and, you know, Sham Karmas and it was just so young. It was really incredible. It was nice to, I feel like that whole entire season we went in and Stadge did a really good job of as soon as we went in shaping what we wanted and really visualising how we wanted to be. We went in and we, we came together as a team and we set our goals and values and uh, we had a, a massive printout of what they were so that no one forgot what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go and that kind of direction and, and kind of visualising um, it as a team and individually really helped us. And as funny as it sounds, it, it really didn't feel like we weren't going to lose. So it was a it was a weird feeling, but also a really incredible moment. Yeah, at such a young age to be able to to win a W League. That following year, you were awarded for your season with a call up to the Matildas. What was it like entering that environment? You spoke about the fact that the previous year, you know, Heather Garriott could have kind of scared you, and now you've basically got twenty Heather Garriots in terms of how. <laughs> how incredibly intense that environment is. Yeah, I was just this young pup that wanted to be the best that I could be and, and try as hard as I possibly could. And that was a massive downfall for me. I think I tried too hard and wanted to do as much as I possibly could without knowing my limitations and my position and everything. And heading into the team with Pesterine at the time as the coach um, was quite scary and it was new and also really cool um, so it was a lot of emotions going everywhere and for me it was it was awesome it was everything that I ever wanted to be a part of. I'm just looking at actually the match sheet right now because I was trying to remember who you came on for and now I'm looking at it and it's almost prophetic in a way that you came on for Lisa Devanna somebody who would become a really important person in your career as you took on that sort of that Matilda's path. We'll talk about that in a bit. But I remember also post-match, you were so emotional and your mum and your dad were there. How'd that feel to have them there in, in that really special moment? One, it's incredible to think about moments and still have those emotions that you had on that day, even though it was almost like six years ago or something like that, maybe even longer. About what year was it in? Yeah. 2013. years ago. I was just overwhelmed with emotions. I am a very emotional person, person when it comes to my family and, and accomplishing goals and stuff like that. So for me, it was everything that we had worked for. And when we say we, I mean my parents and I, because me doing this by myself has never been by myself. And my parents were there to drive me to every single training session when I needed to be. And they were always a support network that I needed to be. And my dad was always the hard ass that, 
put my head back into place and <laughs> for me to be able to accomplish that on a level where my parents were so proud of me was incredible and it was everything that I wanted as well as being extremely sad to not have my number one fan there which was my grandfather that had just passed away so that was a hard time as well. What was the influence of your grandfather as you said he was your number one fan and somebody who obviously really supported you in really important ways? My parents both worked two jobs and did everything that they could to support us when we were younger to have everything that we needed to have and be able to send me to whatever soccer clinic or camp that I needed to go to so my grandparents were always always there for us and and my grandfather was the man you know he was just my best friend and to have him there was incredible and and he always believed in me so much and he loved the game just as much as we all did so it was hard to not have him there when uh, I accomplished something that I've wanted to accomplish my whole entire life but it was kind of poetic because it was like he was looking down on me. Everything's going well at the moment. It's 2013. You've made your Matilda's debut. You've made your young Matilda's debut as captain. And then you make the decision to go overseas in 2014. Can you explain to us what it was like to head overseas for the first time? And you went to Colorado and the Colorado Pride in a league that was just a little bit one step down from the NWSL. Yeah, I was uh, 18 at the time and I went overseas and I thought it was going to be so cool and it, and it really was. It was probably the best decision I made. I went to a second division team over there and uh, all the college kids kind of come over and play um, because no one's allowed to get paid. Um, so I stayed with a host family, which was incredible, and I stayed in Colorado, which was beautiful. But it was the first kind of taste of an environment that was so different to Australia the culture in America where everyone plays like they are like it's for life and death over there and and everyone's so professional and me being an 18 year old kid where I've come from the W League where uh, it was it was underdeveloped and and that's how it was and I thought the standard was really really good over there and then I get to Colorado and I've got all these college kids and the first session that I get to I walk up to my coach and I said I don't know about you, but all the girls are trying to break my leg. Like, what's going on? And he was like, sorry, Chloe, like, this is how it is. Like, they just are fighting for this spot. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, they're going to hurt me. He's like, you're not going to get hurt. It's okay. They're just going hard. And I was like, okay. And that was my first kind of, like, time where I was like, okay, like, this is stepping up a level. And... Yeah, I, I went on to play the rest of that season and I had a lot of fun. I scored the most goals I think I've scored in a whole entire season. And I trained really hard. And in Colorado, the elevation is really high. So it was it was really tough. Um, but it was a great wake-up call for me for my career at that, that, at that time and at that age. It also demonstrated your ability, as you said, to, to sort of step up, fight through it. Because that year, not only did you score the most goals you had seven assists and you were awarded the rookie of the year in a competition where there were over 20 different teams across the the country in America and you were also shortlisted for player of the year what did you learn about yourself that year I learned that I if I apply myself and I work a little bit harder than everyone else that 
I can be really, really great and that I can fulfill my potential of something that I've always wanted to be and I can be a really workhorse in the midfield. And for me, because I was by myself in America and I, and I had the freedom of having a car and, and going to training when I wanted to and being there for however long I wanted to, I actually really utilised that time. And I did a, a lot of my own training and a lot of like timing in shooting and stuff like that. And it really, really helped my confidence in front of goal. Um, so I learned a lot about, you know, putting in the hard yards and working a lot harder than everyone else. That's the football side. But what did it add to the knowledge of yourself on a personal level? That team that I, I went to um, that year was, it was incredible. I, I left home and felt like I went to another home and I was really blessed to have some incredible teammates that I still keep in contact with. That was just like a, a instant family for me. And for me going over there, it really opened my eyes up to having a life of friends all around the world and really opening my eyes to how different people live and really making sure that I'm an open-minded person and an open book. So what you get is what you see is what you get with me. And yeah, that's what I learned at 18 years old. And I think that's why a lot of people are really shocked to know that I'm 25 years old because I feel like I'm a lot older because I feel like I've just been blessed with all these experiences and life life experiences at such a young age i'm trying to also talk through the fact that you've got so much life experience but it's not all been perfect i think sometimes as you said social media allows us to curate our lives in a way and yeah. in 2015 you had a setback where the women's world cup squad was uh, announced and you weren't in there. What was that like to have that setback, that disappointment after you'd put in all this work to try and get yourself into the best possible place? For me at that time, it was it was something that broke me and I did not know how to take it or how to handle it. And at that time, I thought that I did absolutely everything possible and all the right things to be in that squad. And I I was I was shattered. I was actually shattered and it really took a toll on my life and for a long time after that I really resented football and I and I really hated it for I think at that point in that in that moment when I had worked what I had thought that I had worked as hard as I possibly could to get into that squad was taken away from me. I I thought about all the times that I went to training and I stayed at home when all my friends went out and I missed countless birthdays and all the little stuff, the little one percenters that people don't really think about. And I think that I resented it for taking away what I thought was a normal childhood and and really put me in a bad place with how I thought about football and, and what I had done with the last five years of my life and contemplating whether it was the right decision to pursue this as a career. And yeah, I ended up I ended up leaving and and, and putting soccer on the back burner after that. Did you really think that was it? That was over? You went to the US and you travelled. Was that it for you? That was it for me at that point in my life. And I think I had obviously at that time I was with someone and, and there was a whole different life that I was also living outside of football. And for me, I 
I'm a type of person that likes to get over things quickly. So I, I made a decision and I wanted to stick with it. And for me, I wanted to see what the real world was like and go and make real money because living on below minimum wage was tough, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to see what, what it was like to be a normal kid. I missed so much of my life putting it into football and I just wanted to know what it was like. I wanted to party. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to travel the world without thinking about getting hurt and being, you know, not ready for training or like going to bed so early and waking up for morning training sessions. And I wanted to eat bad food and I wanted to (laughs) just, just be a normal person. So yeah, I gave it up and I made my decision and I went and worked as a landscaper and did a labor job and, got fat and yeah oh please your idea of fat like let's not even get started (laughs) on that what did you love the most in that time period as you said just being a normal person I I truly believe that it was the best thing that has happened to my life and my career because it really opened my eyes up to who I was and what I was doing in that time and a lot of it was really bad you know and I think I wasn't the person who I wanted to be because in that time period, I also pushed away my family and I became this person that, you know, I didn't really like, but I was, I was doing it, you know, and I, in that also time, I also traveled, I went to six countries and I did everything that I wanted to do. So like, for me, that time was the best time because now I have no excuses. I've traveled, I've partied, I've, I've backpacked like I always wanted to do. And like I worked a normal job as a landscaper, which was really hard six to seven days a week, which I had a lot of fun doing. And I'm, and I was able to support myself. I moved out of home and I just, you know, I had for that time period, a capsule of what I thought I wanted to be. And then when I came back to reality and started going back to work again, I said, okay, I can't do this any longer. Like I've had my time. I've had my fun. No, I think the time for me was I was in Italy and I was, and and it came to like the second last day before we came home, and I hadn't done anything but a brisk walk while I was there. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go for a run. And I think I ran like 500 meters, and I felt like I was gonna pass out. And I thought to myself in that moment, like, I've been an active, fit person my whole entire life. Like, I can't be like this. This isn't who I am. I've had my fun, and I did what I wanted to do. But I really want to get back into football. And I think when I came home from then. I moved clubs to Newcastle and that's when my life changed dramatically and I got myself back onto the path that I wanted to be on. But was that mental health really important for you in terms of you'd been so driven for so long? There was this goal in front of you. You'd kind of proven people wrong by getting to the Matildas, by captaining the young Matildas. You've won a championship in the W League. You had this setback. Did you need that mental time away from the game? I needed to take a step back and really realise that I had only just scratched the surface of what I wanted to do. In that time in my life, I look back now and I think to myself, I kind of chuckle and I laugh a little bit to think like, is that what I really thought being an elite athlete was at that time? You know, like what I was doing was good enough, like going to training, just training by myself and making sure that I turned up was good enough. I look back now and I think, man, like that was a mindset of a person that just was set with being the best that they were at that time, not thinking about the future on how they can be better. So for me, like now, 
I look back on it, I'm like, oh my God, like I was so happy that I was able to have that mental break because I look back and now I reassess every time that I'm doing something and I can go back to that reference point and say, well, that wasn't good enough. When you come back to the Newcastle Jets, it's changing environment again. You've done this in the personal sense and now you're doing this in the football sense. How important was that to sort of start to form your own football identity and who you were going to be as a footballer? Yeah, I think when Stadge left the game and became the national team coach, it was very hard for me to be at Sydney FC without him being there. So it was definitely time for me to leave and and, and move on. Uh, and then heading to Newcastle to be coached by Deansy was the changing point in my career where I had someone that believed in me so much that it drove me to want to be the best that I could be for him because he just had so much faith in me and he was always there for me. Um, and in Newcastle, although I had all this this fun time away, in Newcastle was a really hard time for me because I had just um, split from my ex-partner back then and I was literally by myself again in, in a country that was my own, but, but feeling very alone and, and very vulnerable at that time. And I remember spending a lot of time um, at our goalkeeper coach's house um, just needing some family time and, and, and kind of being in Newcastle, which is pretty close to Sydney, but just far enough to not be able to go home because it's too far for training. So, so being surrounded by family and friends was, was important for me then and I didn't have it. So I had incredible coaching staff that, you know, stepped up and took that place and I felt like I just owed so much to them because they invested so much time into me and it was a great partnership that we had there and things we, you know, did an amazing job to get me in the mental state that I needed to, to be in and especially in the physical state because when I came back from being overseas, <laughs> I was definitely not in tip-top shape. So, Well, at least now when you have your off-season, you know where you don't want to be when you come back for pre-season. Oh, 100%, 100%. <laughs> You make it back to the Matildas and you are in the running for the Olympics. How was your second stint with the Matildas different to the first? Yeah, so I explained it as as I came back from uh, my time away and I, and I definitely didn't want to mess it up again. And so I was still working as a landscaper at the time and um, at the time, the girls had a camp in Canberra and I actually had a job in Canberra uh, working on a retirement village. So um, Stadge actually invited me back into camp every now and then. Um, so I would come and play, but I was still working. So I'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning in my high-vis singlet and work boots and a hard hat and I'd pave from five till eight or nine. And then the girls would be waking up and going and having breakfast and getting ready for training. Then I'd drive over from my work in my high vis and my boots and I'd borrow Lisa Devana's boots for training. I'd get changed into the Matildas gear and I'd play a training match against some boys. And then when the training match was over, I'd go back to work. And I did that for, for a little while until Stadge called me back into camp. And I think that that point, like I realised that I just never wanted to pass this opportunity up again because I just, if, this was my one chance. And if I messed it up again, it was never coming back around. Mm. Um, so I made sure that I was, I was not putting on my work boots anymore, that I was actually putting on some football boots. So. I'm sorry, I'm just taking that in because it's, 
it's it's interesting to listen to you say that you were working the job and then you were almost putting football around that job as well did that give you perspective of this is this is where you could end up if you don't really take this one seriously my whole entire career i've been surrounded by incredible people and i was fortunate enough to be surrounded by my boss that he owned the company and he was always there for me he actually was a manager for sydney fc um back in the day so he always wanted to see me in the national team so I was lucky enough for him to be so lenient and allow me to leave work to go to training because if I was in any other environment they would have said no Mm. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to leave work and go to training and come back and he would do as much as he possibly could to make sure that I could leave and go and come back so for me like I then again, I'm massive family orientated person and, and, and he did so much for me. So I felt like I owed him. So for a lot of my career, I feel like I've owed a lot of people because they've invested so much time and effort into me. And for a long time, I played for them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I've, I've done my dues and, I've, and I've, I've paid them back for everything that they've done for me. And speaking of paying back, um, what was it like to walk out at the Rio 2016 Olympics uh, as an Olympian and having so many of your family around being able to watch that as well? I still really don't know how to put into words the the feeling of accomplishing something that's on a level of, of when I was five years old and growing up, my my mum was always telling me that she could have went to the Olympics and she was a really good long distance runner and it was a dream of hers to be able to go and she chose to work and help her family out to pay for everything that she could uh, with the bills and everything in Scotland. So for me growing up, it was something that I had always wanted to do, watching Kathy Freeman run at the 2000 Olympics and and really having it embedded in my mind from such a young age to be able to be a role model and and watch and have people watch me do my thing is an unbelievable feeling to be able to inspire the next generation because I I remember sitting on the floor watching the Olympics as a young kid and wanting to be that person. So for me, I can't put into words what it means to me. I just it's an overwhelming feeling to be able to have manifested something from such a young age and finally to be living something that you've always wanted to do. So it, it was, I don't know, I still get choked up talking about it, thinking about walking out onto the field for the first time and being surrounded by so many people and, and wearing the green and gold as an Olympian, walking the closing ceremony. And I think, I will always remember that moment as an unbelievable moment and still get choked up by the emotions of being there. Fast forward to 2019, you finally have that World Cup dream and you scored in a game against Brazil. There's having the World Cup debut, but then there's also being able to score in a World Cup in an incredibly tense, tight um, encounter against a team that has become a real rival of Australia's. 
Yeah, the rivalry is definitely there and I've played Brazil many times and I think that game at the World Cup was kind of payback for what happened at the Olympics and it was an incredible feeling to be surrounded by my whole entire family. It was the first time that I had my brother, my sister, my mum and my dad at the game and I was just really blessed to be surrounded by my teammates and I played that game for Laura Alloway because she was unfortunately ruled out of the game um, or from the World Cup from a stress fracture in her foot. So for me, it was always like I had someone else there to help me. And yeah, it was just an amazing experience to be able to do it at the World Cup for the first time that I feel like I had been robbed of four years prior to. So to be standing in that position um, at the World Cup after working very hard for four years to get there was incredible. It's one of the iconic photos of the World Cup for Australia is you standing there in that pose. Can you explain to us how that celebration came about? Yeah, the celebration is a super warm pose um, because Laura is my hype woman from day one. She's <laughs> been incredible. She's been, the, she's been the best big sister that I could probably ask for and she sings Superwoman to me uh, before every single game to hype me up, to get me out to go there. And for me, it was just the most perfect thing to celebrate everything that she's done for me. So I definitely stood up tall, puffed my chest out, and I was proud to be there. I'm just thinking about everything that leads up to that moment. And we've, we've spoken about so much of it so far. Is that a moment where you feel finally comfortable as a Matilda? 100% yes. For a long time, I had played my football in the point where I owed a lot of people. I felt like I owed a lot of, of my footballing career to a lot of people and I played for them and I played for my family and I played for the haters because I wanted to prove everyone wrong. But in that moment for that World Cup, I played for myself. It was the first time that I had ever played my career for me and just solely for me. And I think that was the most exciting part of my career because I did not feel any pressure. It was just like, I know that I had done all the work that I possibly could to get to where I wanted to be. I'm mm -hmm. the most mature I've ever been and I'm comfortable with who I am and what I want to do and my principles and my values. And I think like, it really, I'm smiling right now, but it's the first time where I can say like, I, I know who I am and where I stand in the team and I am excited to see where, kind of was like a, a moment of my career is only just starting kind of moment. Well, I for one am really excited to see you become the footballer that you think you can be. Um, it's It's been an incredible ride. I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to, watch your journey happen and yeah really excited to to see what comes next for you yeah and it's been it's been a lovely journey honestly like like lisa said it's gone really quickly because the fact that i debuted in 2013 um and now i look back and i've been to a world cup and been to an olympics and into many qualifiers and traveled the world i still feel like i'm 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 still young enough to play a few more 
uh, Olympics and World Cups. And hopefully with the way that the Matildas are going, and especially from the last three years, we're just growing and we're getting better. And the future is very bright for us. So it's, it's really exciting to see what's to come. Now, before I let you go, I can't let you go without doing the quick fire 11. Are we ready to get into it? All right, all right let's go. What do you consider your best personal trait? I would say my genuine care for everyone. What do you consider your worst personal trait? I really get bored, so I occupy myself with a lot of things and then I kind of forget half of them. So like, <laughs> if you ask me to do something, like maybe remind me three or four times. <laughs> you mean like, <laughs> like, like we did for this interview? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like you did where you're like okay you ready it's tomorrow okay it's today okay it's now yeah love it what is your perfect idea of happiness my perfect idea of happiness is to be surrounded by the ones that care the most about you and love you the most and just feel totally okay with being you in the present moment and have no regrets what is your greatest fear Oh, I have a few. I'm scared of the dark, really scared of the dark. I don't like heights and I think leaving behind the ones I love. What is your most treasured possession? Okay, no, that's a really good one. I really like the stuff my fans give me. When my grandmother passed away, someone, someone gave me a necklace with an angel on it and she wrote a very beautiful message to me. And it comes with me to every single Matilda's game and I hang it on where my jerseys sit every single national team game. And it's been with me for four years. It's, it's amazing how much yeah. of an impact a fan can have on you in just one moment. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and I think in that time I was extremely vulnerable and to know that although I have my family there, to, to have such beautiful words from a person that I've never met was, I can't explain the amount of respect that I have for that person for being there for me so it was I will always have that that will always be there and that is my grandmother so it's it will will always be there what words or phrases do you most overuse oh what words or phrases um oh all right um I could probably get my girlfriend to help me Mackenzie what phrases or words do I use the most yeah, no, probably, yeah, all right, it's probably, like, my 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 biggest phrase. Is that because you've yeah, been in life. England now for a little bit? Because that sounded very English when you said it. Yeah, I know, I had an accent, sorry. Um, another one is, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, so random. But, okay. Because the rest yeah. of the time you're going to lie? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> If you could go back to relieve one football moment, what would it be? It would be the World Cup goal against Brazil or it would be scoring the penalty at the Olympics in that moment, that, that one little moment. That was pretty that cool. Was I, uh, that was pretty cool though. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes that crowd still rings, the noise still rings around whenever I hear the recording because that was insane. Oh my goodness. And for you to oh put that goodness. pen away was just insane. It was so loud that you couldn't hear yourself think. And I, when I when I go and speak to school kids and stuff like that, I, I 
I tell them 65,000 people playing in, in a stadium where you can't hear the person next to you talk is unbelievable. And feeling the the volume of everyone's voices through your chest is an unbelievable feeling. You've played both extremes, you know, that 65,000 and then having nobody in the stadium. Yeah. I mean, it was... It was eerie. It was eerie. I was playing against Vietnam, where there's literally no one there. Um, what moment would you like to wipe out of your memory forever? The Olympics, losing to Brazil on penalties, was honestly oh, one of the worst feelings ever. And losing on penalties in the World Cup again was so hard to go out of a tournament on penalties back to back and to work so hard and, and play for 120 minutes and it come down to that and losing in that fashion, you wouldn't want to wish it on your worst enemy. Yeah. Hi, can we never do penalties again, please? Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Which footballer, past or present, do you most identify with? Lisa, for sure. Why? She's taught me a lot about, I was fortunate enough to be a roommate for three years and I feel like she was very misunderstood and she taught me a lot about who I am and what I should be and my values. I think values is the biggest word that I can bring out with her and, and being a good person and sticking to those values and not, not dropping down to anyone else's and being true to yourself. I'll take a lot away from what she taught me in football into my life and I'll be forever grateful for that. And she's done some incredible things throughout her career and been an amazing player for so many years. So it will definitely be Lisa. What profession other than football would you like to try? And you've already tried landscaper, so you can't have that one. I'm actually studying interior design, so I would love to get into that and hopefully do it post-career and I just I just really enjoy everything and maybe flipping houses I like hands-on stuff so at the end of your football playing career Chloe what would you like fans writers and people like me to say about you for me I want my legacy to be left not just on the field, but, but mostly off the field. I want to be able to impact the next generation, to be inspired, to not just have faith, to go out and be active and be healthy, but to also just pursue anything that you want to. And whatever you do, just put 110% into it because it's incredible what you can do and what your mind can do once you have a mindset that's above everything else. Having faith in yourself to be able to do it your body will just follow. So for me, it will just be about inspiring the next generation to be confident in being who they are, in no matter what they do, even if they play football or don't play football. I just want to be the person that inspires people. Well, that would be quite the legacy to have. Um, Chloe Legazzo, thank you so much for your time on this episode of the Westville Matildas podcast. It's been a real journey and a real privilege to be able to go through that journey with you. Thanks, Anne. I had a lot of fun reminiscing um, about some good times. And, and, yeah, hopefully it's a lesson for some people and hopefully it resonates with some people and 
hopefully some people take it away and, and really think about my mistakes and work on whatever they need to work on. So, yeah. and they're never mistakes. Chloe is one of the great uh, sayings is the past is just prologue. So all good. Exactly. They're just lessons. hundred yeah. percent agree in that. This has been another episode of the Westfield Matildas podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. And remember, you can find much more information on the Matildas at matildas.com.au or the social channels. Don't forget, you can also listen to the Socceroos podcast at socceroos.com.au with Michael Potterflam. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.